Everybody, thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Louisville podcast today. This is taken from our most recent service. If you find it to be a blessing, would you share it with somebody that you know would be blessed by it as well? You can find us on Facebook if you simply type in the Pentecostals of Louisville and on Instagram if you type in the same. Our service times are Sunday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And if you've never joined us in person for service before, we'd love to see you there. God bless you. Second, or First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 11. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Amen. Did a wonderful job today. Amen. Amen. We're going to preach to our fathers today, but we're going to, we're going to talk to all of our men in the house today. Amen. And I pray that you have a blessed day. Amen. With family and with friends. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 11. If you have it, say praise the Lord. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, and faith, and love, and patience, and meekness, and fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. In other words, you're going to have to get a hold of it. You're going to have to reach for it. You're going to have to grasp for it. It ain't going to come easy, right? You want eternal life, you're going to have to lay hold of it, not let go. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In the scripture, Paul is speaking to Timothy and calling him a man of God. Amen. And any man that is seeking to follow after the Lord, you're a man of God. And he said, flee these things. He's telling him that there's some things you're going to have to flee. And then he said, follow after these things. So Paul is talking to Timothy in the very the early stages of his ministry and his life. And he's telling him, Timothy, old man of God, if you want to have God's blessing and favor on your life, there are some things you're going to have to run from, and there's some things you're going to have to run to. Righteousness, godliness, faith, and love, and patience, and meekness, and fight the good fight of faith. It ain't going to come easy, Timothy. It's hard to be a godly man in an ungodly world. Let me say that again. It's not easy trying to be a godly man in an ungodly world. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. I want to talk to you just for a few moments. I've, I've, um, I don't plan on preaching long today. I know it's a, a, a big day and people have plans, but the Holy Ghost is in this place. Amen. I'm always careful. When I, when I preach Mother's Day, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but when I preach Mother's Day, I try to encourage our mothers. And 
um, uh, and, and we're thankful for that. And when we preach our men's, our Father's Day, um, sometimes, you know, sometimes we hammer our men. I, I just, I don't think that's fair because there's a lot, there's a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of good men, right? So I want to, I want to encourage us today. And uh, I, I, I want to admonish us in certain areas. And there's areas that we can all do better, amen? So we're going to talk about a few of those areas. But I pray that every man that leaves this place, amen, that you get a, you get a touch of the Holy Ghost in your life so that when we walk out of here that we can be the men who God has called us to be, amen? I want to talk to you about the measure of a man. The measure of a man. And I, I took my son's tape measure already. He ain't, even had, he ain't even had a chance to use it. I've already confiscated it. Look at that big print. Look how big those numbers are. I may have to keep this thing right here. I can, I can, I can read this. But the measure of a man. How do you measure? How do you measure? How do you know? Is there a blueprint to find out what God requires of us men? Let's talk about it for a few moments. You can be seated. We live in a world that depends on secure and unchanging measurements. There's parameters and there's guidelines in every, every field and every facet, whether it's engineering or whether, it well, uh, doesn't matter what it is, there are, there, it, it, that profession depends on foundational things. So we live in a world that depends on secure and unchanging measurements. In fact, there are government agencies that go around and they do tests on various devices and they make sure that companies are being honest in the selling of goods. They make sure there's not false balances and that things are measured correctly. When you go to the gas pump, you see a seal there from the state that lists the name of the agency that's determined that, that this pump has delivered exactly one gallon of gas accurately. They don't leave that up to the gas station alone because they know that some might be tempted to give you three quarters of a gallon and not quite a gallon. What if the measurement of a gallon was variable? What if one company could give you three quarters and one company could give you half of a gallon and yet they could put a stamp of approval and say, well, that's a gallon. I tell you what would happen, the public would rise up in arms because, well, companies would be guilty of cheating the consumer. The Food and Drug Administration, they, they spend time inspecting pharmaceutical companies to make sure that when they say a drug has a thousand milligrams, that it has exactly a thousand milligrams. A thousand milligrams equal one gram, and it has to be exact. What if drug companies decided that there was no measurement, precise measurement, and that all the measurements would be variable amounts of the contents of the chemicals that went into developing the drug? It would have a huge impact on our health, and more harm would be done than good. There has to be a measurement. There has to be parameters. There has to be a guideline to say that this is how it's put together, and this is how it works. You look at the building industry, which there are some few uh, uh, oddities in the building. Someone put on Facebook that was not familiar with lumber and said, not only is lumber sky high, I bought a two-by-four today, and it's not even two inches thick and four inches wide and I'm like honey it ain't ever been two inches thick and four inches wide they were like is this is this regular practice and I thought you've never built anything in your life but I promise every two by four measures the exact same or it's supposed to the building industry 
is regulated by inspectors who determine that 12 inches is the equivalent of one foot. It has to be. How could we build skyscrapers? How could we, could we build and reinforce bridges and structures that would be safe um, uh, for, for our society if there wasn't precise measurements? Uh, our world would be full of engineering disasters if the standards of measurements all you know, degenerated in such a state of chaos where nobody used the same set of rules. And in the physical world, there are standards and measurements that guide us, that ensure that when we're setting out to do something that we can hit the mark and that it will be excellent and that it will be safe uh, and that the end result and product is the same time and time again. But as it is in the physical, it is even more important in the spiritual realm that we hit the mark. It is even more important in the spiritual realm where not the temporal hangs in the balance, but the eternal hangs in the balance. And since it is Father's Day today, let us take a look and see what God's Word has to say about men, about the measure of a man. To all the fathers and the men that are here today, there are certain measurements and criteria and parameters that we can find in the Word of God that can help us to see what we need to be, what we need to become, and the path that we need to walk. If you hold your Bible today, you can look in that Bible and say, mirror, mirror in my hand, show me the image of a righteous man. And it will only, only show you what you were and what you are, but it will give you hope of what you can be through Christ Jesus. It is the standard. It is the ruler by which all men are measured righteous and godly and holy. There's a book that was written around the 1600s, mid-1600s, and the title of the book is called The Godly Man's Portrait by Thomas Watson. It's a little over 250 pages and has 12 chapters, and they are written directly toward what a godly man would look like. Uh, it, was, it was quite a popular book 400 years ago. I guess when you could say society in general was more concerned about being godly. It hasn't been popular for quite some time and you're probably not going to find it on the New York Times bestseller list anytime soon. You won't find a re-edition of it. I don't think that's a popular subject. But he lists 20 or so different points in showing what a godly man looks like. We're not going over the 20 points, so take a deep breath. Amen. Some of you about hyperventilated right there. But he, he, from the Word of God, he points towards these 20 things uh, that can help show us what God expects uh, out of a godly man. It is a sense of measurement that he pulled out of the Word of the Lord uh, that helped men in a bygone era to see what God longed for in the measure of a man. And according to Watson, he discovered that the Bible says that a godly man should be a man moved by faith. That a godly man should be measured by his faithfulness. And that a godly man should be fired by love. There should be a deep love for God. A deep love for his family. And a deep love for his fellow man. And that, that a godly man is careful about the worship of his God. That he makes sure that God gets the very best of him and not is what is left of him. Can I get an amen? 
He said a godly man is one who serves God and not men. He, he will walk to the beat of a different drummer. A godly man is a man who's not afraid to weep in the presence of the Lord. That a godly man is a man who loves the word and it's the final authority in his life. That a godly man is a man who is walks by the spirit and not in the flesh. That he's a man of humility. He understands what it means to be held by grace and where he would be without the hand of God on his life. That a godly man is a man of prayer. He's a man that knows how to talk to God. He knows how to call on the favor and the blessing of God for his family, for his children, for his church, for his city, and for his world. He said a godly man is a man of sincerity. He's a heavenly minded man. He's a zealous man for the things of God. He's a patient man. He's a thankful man. He's a man who loves his brother no matter the skin color or, 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 or where that person may fit into society. He's a man that gives respect to everyone that he meets and he treats them as the precious creature that God has created. He's a man that does not indulge himself in sin, but he finds himself in daily repentance. He's a man who is good in his relationships, understanding that people are not throwaway. And if God allows someone to come in our life, they're in our life for a reason to sharpen us. A godly man is a man who does spiritual things in a spiritual manner. It's contrary to culture and to the ways of our society. He is a man that has learned to walk with God. He looks at his family and says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's a godly man who strives to be an instrument to, to influence others for, for the good so they can be godly also. You know, instead of men who are just pursuing the American dream or chasing after those elusive pots of gold, of fame and fortune. And men uh, oftentimes will give themselves a pass. We're told that we need to watch our anger. We need to watch to make sure that our hands are clean. And we need to watch because men have... Uh, uh, it's easy for us to become apathetic. It's easy for us to kind of disengage and to allow other people to stay. It's easy for us just to, to go along to get along. But friends and our fathers here today, we are not in a go along to get along society. Culture is not neutral when it comes to your family, your marriage, and your children. There is an agenda that starts from the cradle to the grave. And as men of God, we've got to make sure that we are engaged and that we're not apathetic and that we're not going to lose the battle for godly families by default or because we simply don't show up. I will not lose godliness and righteousness because I forfeited the fight because I never stepped on the field. Amen. If we step on the field, God will fight that battle with us careful we'll give ourselves a pass and we'll become unaccountable it's just what men do it's the holiness it's what men need to watch uh, raising up holy hands without anger without wrath without 
doubting. We have a problem with anger. We, we have a problem. Uh, we're visual and we're stimulated by visual things. We have to make sure that our mind and our hands stay clean. We got to make sure that what we're part of is, is helping us and not hurting us. And then we have to make sure that, that we just don't kind of throw in the towel and we don't take a back seat. You can take a back seat to a lot of things in your life, but when it comes to having a godly home and when it comes to teaching your children how to pray and how to worship and how to be faithful, let me tell you, a daddy, it takes a daddy, it takes a daddy, it takes a father that says, I know society doesn't care if I step up, but I'm not going to lay down. I'm the gatekeeper of my house. And if ungodliness and worldliness is going to get in my home, it's going to have to step over my spiritually dead body. And that's not going to happen. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord God Almighty. Oh, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're talking about the measure, the measure, the measure of a man. If we're not careful, we'll lean towards uh, unaccountability and we'll, we'll check out from our biblical responsibility. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just here to tell you these are areas that we have to be, we have to be careful, um, uh, that we become disengaged and, and we start losing the small, small battles and small fights. There are some measurements that are going to require that we're going to have to effort and we're going to have to work to obtain. But what if there was just a handful of men, and I believe we have them in this place. What if there was a handful of men in Louisville that would say, I want to measure up. I want to measure up to what God wants me to be. I want to measure up to the father that God wants me to be. I want to measure up to the man that God wants me to be. I want to measure up to the child of God that God has designed for me to be. I'll tell you what would happen. Our churches would change. Our families would change. Our homes would change. Our worlds would change. My prayer is on Father's Day 2020 that all the men in the house would start pursuing the things that God measures a godly man by. Ezekiel 22 and 30 says, And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. I, I wanted to, to give the land grace. I wanted to not put my judgment upon the land. And I sought for a man that would stand in the gap like Moses did between God and his people. I wanted a man to stand up and say, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll take the stand. I won't compromise. I'll pursue holiness. I'll pursue righteousness. I'll pursue godliness. Because we're not just talking about playing church. We're talking about a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. We're talking about an eternity. An eternity. I'm just looking for one man that would stand up and say, I'll be the one. And the Lord said, I would not destroy it. But I found none. There are a few prerequisites to being a good father, a godly father. You can be a good father and not be a godly father. They're not one and the same. I just don't want to be a good father. I want to be a godly father. A good father can teach morals. A good father can instill 
character. A good father can do a lot of, lot of good things. He could get them headed in the right direction and he could tell them, uh, push them towards education. There's a lot of things a good father can do, but a godly father makes sure that God is at the center of all of that. A godly father makes, makes sure that his children know that if you can be a success in all of the other areas, but if God is not the center of your life, it won't matter. Because when the Lord comes back, back. He's not checking for degrees. He's checking for the blood of the Lamb. When God comes back, He's not checking for your 401k. He's not checking for your bachelor's, your master's, or your doctorate. And all of those things are great. Amen. You can have that and still be godly. But what He's checking for, did you seek ye first the kingdom of God? Come on, daddies, and all you're getting, make sure that you get Jesus in the heart of your baby. Amen. Get them in the heart of your babies. It matters more than anything, anything, anything. Amen. Whether I'm a success, it comes down to did I, did I give my kids what they needed? And I'm here to encourage the men in this place that you did what you knew how to do. That, that you raised your kids uh, um, in the house of God. You, you raised them Codly and 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 before they were even accountable, you made sure that uh, that 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 they were that, that you took them to the house of the Lord, that they knew how important it was. Let me remind you, there does the Bible says raise up a child in the way they should go, that that they will not they will not depart. It doesn't mean that they won't ever fall away. It means that they won't ever forget. They will always, no matter where they are and what they're doing, that knowledge is always there. You can't make them live for God, but you can put it in them so that when they need to come back to God, it's there. So I'm preaching to the daddies here today that society or, or you may feel a little indifferent about today or you feel like because your kids aren't here worshiping and loving the Lord that somehow you miss the mark. There comes an age of accountability where it falls squarely on the shoulders of every kid, every young man and every young lady. Am I going to live for God? Am I going to serve the God of my fathers? Or is God going to become my God? So I want you to square your shoulders today. If you brought them to church and you prayed over them and you worshiped in front of him and you were faithful in front of him, don't you ever let them go. It's in there. They can't ever sin so much that it's eradicated. You put it in their heart. You did what you had to do. You did what you had to do. And then you've got to trust that God, that God on your behalf, is going to speak to their hearts. and just, just like Abraham was the only reason why that Lot made it. Abraham was praying for Lot when Lot wasn't even aware of it. Your lost children aren't even aware that there's a daddy and a mama that is standing in between them and a lot of collateral damage. I believe that. I believe Lot would not have made it if Abraham had not prayed for Lot when Lot wasn't even aware of what was going on. You don't know. You may say, well, my kids, are, my kids have walked down some pretty bad. They're pretty messed up. Just imagine how far they would be if it wasn't for your prayer, if it wasn't for you saying, God, do what you got to do. Touch their heart. Put grace and mercy in their life. I want to see my baby saved. I want to see my daughter or my son living for you. Where would they be? And what kind of shape? would they be in if you weren't standing in the gap the only reason you're holding off you're holding off the law of the harvest in their life and God has given a space of grace 
Amen. Father, you have an obligation to call their names out in prayer. He sought for a man. There's a few prerequisites. The truth is, you'll not be a good father until, until you're a good man. Being a man, functioning like a man, taking on the responsibility of a man, thinking like a man, acting like a man, working like a man. These are all things that it takes to be a good father, and they're all things it takes to be a godly father. Amen? So you can never be a godly father without first being a good, a good man. And I'm thankful today that I'm surrounded by good men. I'm thankful for that today. There's a lot of good men in this place right now. I'm thankful to be around good men. I'm thankful to be around mentors and teachers and fathers, men who are making a difference in their life and in the young men that are around them, that you have influence on them that you are not even aware of. We read our scripture text earlier. Paul was, was talking to Timothy. It was a pastoral epistle, meaning that it was written, it had an emphasis to spiritual leadership, but it, it, it's, it's important to understand that, that every man that comes into the kingdom of God is designated as a man of God. You may not have the role of a pastor. You may have the role of a prophet, of a bishop, or you may not have the role you know, of a teacher or an evangelist. But every man that follows after the Lord is a man of God. Whether he's in a pulpit or, or not, every father is a preacher. Every man in this place is a preacher. Brother Grievous, I don't know what you mean. Every father is preaching with his life as much as he is with his words. We're big ships. Big ships make wakes, and there's little ships that follow us. Come on, Daddy, you're a big ship. We have little ships that are following us. We need to make sure that we lead them in the right direction. Amen? I was thinking about Brother and Sister Romer when I was putting this together and, and, and was reading this. Um, there, there, there's an old, old parable told by a Haitian pastor. He said that there was a man who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man in the area desperately wanted to buy it, but he didn't have the means to. So after a lot of bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for $1,000. However, the reduced price came with a stipulation because he needed the money, but he wasn't happy about having to sell it for $1,000. So there was a stipulation. The owner would be able to retain the ownership of one large peg, one large nail that was just above the front door. Several years passed by, and the first owner started smarting about it, about how he didn't get his $2,000. He decided, you know what? I think I want that house back. So he decided to buy it back, but the new owner wouldn't sell him the house. So the original goes out and finds the carcass of a dead dog, and he hangs it on that pe peg. He hangs it on that nail right above the front door. He owns that nail. He owns that peg. So he can do with it whatsoever he wills. And it was that nail that he still owned. And it wasn't too long before the house became unlivable and the stench filled the house. And the owner understood what was happening, that it was just going to be horrible. And he was just going to have to, going to, have to give in and sell it back to the original owner of the nail. The man that owned the peg, the man that owned the nail had the power. Then the Haitian pastor concluded the story. He said, if we leave the devil even with one small peg in our life, if we leave the devil with just one small nail in our life to which he can come back at his choosing and hang garbage and hang ungodliness and hang things in our life. If the enemy just has access to just one single nail in your life, he will explore it 
He will exploit it and he will try to reduce you to be less than God wanted you to be. I tell our men here today, are there any nails hanging over the front door of your life? If they are, today is a good day to evict the owner of the nail and say, you're not going to beat me down anymore because I I have this habit or this addiction or this problem. I'm going to get free of all of the pegs. You're not going to allow garbage to be brought back into my life I want to be a godly man we need men especially fathers who won't give the devil or the world any room to take advantage of them if there's a single place in your life that he can take advantage of he'll do it he'll do it I'm going to be honest with you right here you know, they're, they're, we all struggle. We, we all face things. And the Bible says that even Jesus was tempted, uh, but yet he never sinned. Uh, there are things that we all, why? Because we all have flesh. If we pray, if we fast, uh, if we have a steady diet of the word of God, then we can overcome these things. But it doesn't mean that we're not tempted. Uh, let me tell you, men, when temptation comes into my life, oh, your pastor's life, oh, yeah, I, I don't have a halo. I, there's no wings, baby. Is there wings? No, she said, there's definitely not any wings. <laughs> and there's no halo, I promise you. I prom- when this man gets tempted, I, 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 I check myself. You know the one of the reasons why I check myself? I check, first of all, I check myself because I want to honor the Lord. And I don't want to do anything to dishonor the Lord. But you know the very next thing that comes to me? My family's counting on me. Come on. My family's counting on me. My children are counting on me. There is legacy counting on me. There is heritage counting on me. This church is counting on me. What we need men to do is understand we're not in this just for ourselves. There are people that are hanging on to us. There are people that they depends on us keeping the ship going in the right direction. I don't make the decisions just for me, but I understand I'm making them for everybody around me. And that responsibility is good. And the weight of that is good. I don't want to disappoint God. And I don't want to disappoint my family. And I don't want to disappoint my church. You need to have the same mentality when it comes to living for God. First of all, I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I'm not going to live with unrepented sin in my life. I am not going to give the enemy a foothold. You talk to most pastors and they'll tell you that if a woman falls into sin or if a woman feels their sin, she almost repents immediately. It's, it's almost, that they have, it's just easier for them. But men, if they're not careful, they'll go a week, they'll go two weeks, they'll go three weeks. Men are more apathetic because you don't see the immediate ramification of the sin in your life. But be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Just because you don't see it coming back doesn't mean that the law of the harvest is put into motion but what you got to do is you got to make your mind up. I am not going to get comfortable living with unrepented sin in my life. I may not be perfect, but I can be forgiven. And if there's anything our families need to see us do is to admit we don't have it all together. We're not perfect all the time. And your daddy and your husband is not ashamed to bend their knee and say, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I can't do this without you, Lord. I need you. I need you. 
Let me tell you, in this culture, you're going to need the Lord to raise a godly family. Amen. Our wives shouldn't have to be doing it by themselves. Come on, you can say amen, wives and women. Amen. Our wives shouldn't be the only one pulling the spiritual weight. We should be pulling it together. Well, it's tight, but it's right. Amen. Amen. Paul said, he told Timothy, he used the Greek word for fugue. And it's the English word that we get the word fugitive from. It's the root of fugitive. It literally means to seek safety by flight, which means you're just, you're, you're not actually maybe running to something, but you know that it's not safe to go, that you're running, you're getting safety by turning. You're getting safety by fleeing away. Paul is saying that, Timothy, there are, he said it in our scripture text that, that you have to flee ungodly stuff. Paul's saying there's some things you're going to have to run from. If not, they're going to do damage to your soul. You see, a man of God is measured by what he walks away from. We love preaching about Joseph, but Joseph is a man that we can judge him by what he ran from. We're measured. We're measured. But not just what we run to, but we're measured by what we flee from. 1 Corinthians 6, we are to flee fornication. We're to flee sexual temptation. We're to flee things. We're to flee things. We talked about it in our lesson this morning in our discipleship, in, in our new convert class, new believers class. That there are some things that we, have to, we just have to flee from. That we're in the dispensation of grace. And grace holds us to a much higher standard than the law ever did. God was on the outside trying to get on the inside in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, God is on the inside affecting the outside. If you, if, if, if you had an, uh, uh, an immoral relationship in the Old Testament, there had to be a couple of witnesses to see you and to catch you. If not, it couldn't be proven. It, 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 and, and it had to be proven. Um, and then you were, you, were found, you, know, you were found guilty of it. But in the New Testament, the Lord said, you don't have to be caught if you look unto a woman to lust after her her in your heart you may not suffer now let me help some people right you may not suffer the earthly ramifications of what it is to look at a woman and and to undress her in your mind we're getting we're getting a little tight right now army but you may not suffer the earthly ramifications to have that prolonged look, look at a woman but you will suffer the eternal ramifications just as if the physical act ever happened so the New Testament the Lord said let me do you a favor sin starts with the thought and if you can't win the battle of your mind it's only a matter of time until you're going to do the actual deed so in the Old Testament you had to get caught but in the New Testament he said if you think in your mind you're already committed it you're already guilty of it you need to bend your knee and clean out your heart that's why 1 Corinthians says you need to flee fornication if you got to flee the internet you need to flee the internet come on daddies come on daddies we're talking about heaven or hell we're talking about making sure we have a godly home 
That's why this man decided that I wasn't going to have TV in my house at an early age because I didn't want to be tempted. I didn't want to see adultery in my living room. I didn't want to see alternative lifestyles in my living room. When I tell my children that they're not, that God won't bless them, but they see me watch it and laugh at it, you are sending a mixed message. My God, we need godly men that'll take a stand in their homes. If you don't, they're indoctrinating our kids at five and six years old. You hear me? There is an uproar all over our country right now. There is a mass epidemic of people leaving our public school system because they're trying to teach our kids what is acceptable as early as kindergarten. You've got them more than the school system has them. You've got them more than Sunday school has them. If daddy, if your kids don't know the word of God, it's not Sister Underwood's fault. It is your, come on, I'm preaching to you right now. When your kids get to be teenagers and they're not living right, it ain't the youth pastor's fault. Daddy, it's your fault. Oh, come on somebody. I know I'm dropping the hammer there just a little bit. But I just want to admonish our men. Step up. Square your shoulders. Me and my house is going to live for the Lord. If it means that every monitor has to leave, that's what's going to happen. That's right. When the Bible says it would be better not to have your eyes and make it to heaven, it wasn't playing around. It wasn't playing around. And if you've got a problem with it, just imagine the problem your 15-year-old would have with it. Come on, somebody. I mean, and, and, and oh, there's so many things. I'm not going to get into it, but there's so many things and, and all of this. If, I, if, if things popped up on the Internet and, on, and things and I couldn't, and it, it caused me to relapse, let me tell you what I would do. I'd have a pocket. I'd, I'd have a flip phone. Now, can we tell you, just because men in our church get flip loans doesn't mean they have a problem with it. It just means they don't care about paying $1,100 for a cell phone. The joke's on us, right? Yeah, they don't want a car note. <laughs> so if a, if a bunch of men go get flip loans, don't you think they're doing it for that reason? But if I did have a reason and I couldn't trust myself with the Internet on my phone, let me tell you what, I'd have a flip phone. They tell you, I'd have a pager. I'd have a back phone. At least I'd make Kevin my home. Come on, somebody. We're talking about getting serious about living for God. All right, moving right along. Amen. Flee fornication. you got to flee it. you got to flee all of it, everything about it. Flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10 you got to make sure that you're not putting other things in front of God. you got to flee idolatry. If hobbies matter more, it's not an idol. If work matters more, it's an idol. He said flee from idolatry. Listen to 1 Timothy 6. Flee from covetousness and the love of money. And then 2 Timothy 2 says flee from youthful lust. I believe this is still good advice in our generation. We live in a sensual, I mean, they try to sell cigarettes with nudity, beer, gambling. Everything is sensualized. We live in a sensual, idolatrous, money-loving, lustful society. And the devil will use every single one of those to wreck the souls of men. But if we will flee 
and not pursue such things, we can make heaven our home. Sir, you're not measured, you're not measured by the things you accumulate. You're not measured by the things that you can grab with your hand. You're measured by how much Jesus you have in your, in your heart. At the end of the day, you're not going to be measured by how many hours you spent on the job or how much money you made or how many possessions that you own. But the real value of your life is going to be counted by the things that you ran from and also the things that you ran to. There are a couple of things, and I'm closing, that a godly father, there are some things that we have to run from. We know what those are. But there are some things that we have to follow after. You're going to have to follow after the Lord. You're going to have to seek him with all of your heart. We're to follow after the things of the Lord with the same energy that we use to flee the trappings of this world. We've been called out of darkness, not to just sit in neutrality. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out and into, out of darkness into light. The same, the same vigor which we ran out of the darkness should be the same vigor by which we run into the light. Amen? Paul gives us the indication that it's a lifelong pursuit to seek after the will of God. We are never to stop pursuing the things of God. Men, these are the things that you should be seeking in your life. Six things. Righteousness. You should be seeking righteousness. You should be seeking godliness. You should be seeking faith. You should be seeking love. You should be seeking patience. And you should be seeking meekness and gentleness. If a man will follow after these kind of things, you will have incredible spiritual focus in your life. It's hard to get a man focused on those six things to turn aside and to lose his way. When you found the pearl of great price, you're willing to make adjustments in your life so you can keep that at the center of your life. Let your family and let everybody know in your world that this world is not my home. We need men who can say, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. And you do that by pursuing the things of God. You seek him first, men. You seek him first. You seek him first. Be like Jairus. The Bible says he was a ruler. His daughter was nine to death. And when he came to Jesus... It sounded like she was already dead because he said, my daughter is dead. But if you'll come and you'll pray for her, she will live again. When he left, he was a ruler of the synagogue. Jesus wasn't mo the most popular cat in town. He took a risk by going out. And I imagine there was a mama that was behind that too saying, you better go get Jesus. <laughs> and, 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 and it could have cost him his standing. He was a ruler. Many believe it was in the synagogue. He was a ruler. He would have been held accountable for it. But you know what? When it came to saving his family, he said, I don't have any dignity. When it came to saving his daughter, I don't have any pride. Because i got to do whatever I can to make sure that my family is saved. And when he left that house that day, he wasn't caring about what his neighbors thought of him. He wasn't caring about the rumors that were going to be going around the synagogue next week. He was only worried about, you know what? It's not your daughter. We'll see what you do when it comes to you. But this is my house, and I'm going to go out and look for Jesus. And Jarius did the greatest thing that a father could ever do. He went and got Jesus and said, look, it's not enough for me to get Jesus, but I want to take Jesus home with me because I want Jesus to affect my family and my children. 
Daddy, it's not enough to find Jesus at the house of God. Your family needs to know that Jesus is welcome in your house. One of the greatest gifts you can do for your family is to let it be known that this house is God's house. We will seek to please Him in this house. Jerry has showed his family, I'll do whatever I have to do. Whatever I have to do to make sure that Jesus gets in my home. Daddy, you're the gatekeeper. Mama's there by your side. Let me tell you what. There's something about a woman's intuition. And there's really something about a spiritual woman's intuition. I have learned over the years, I don't discount it. When my wife feels something ain't quite right or whatever, I listen to her. Right? But daddy, you're the gatekeeper. And your wife is standing right there next to you. Your wife may stand for it, but if you don't, it sends a mixed message. Daddy, you need to square your shoulders with that flaming sword of the word. And say, everything that comes in this house, I approve of it. And if I don't approve of it, it doesn't come in this house. That's the perfect way to think of it. And you're like, well, Brother Griffiths, I don't know if I made the right decision. Sit down with your wife and ask her how she feels about certain things. If she loves you, she'll talk to you, right? And she'll tell you. I think we can make adjustments here. I think we can make some adjustments there. I think we can make some changes there. And then you work together to make sure that happens. Then you explain to your family and your children, this is why we're making these adjustments, because mom and daddy love you. It's okay to tell your children no. Just let that out. They will get over it. Eventually. <laughs> but you got to, sometimes the force is strong with it, but you got to be stronger. I tell you how to be stronger. Um, let me see that cell phone you're not paying for. Let me see that iPad you're not paying for. And if that stuff was getting them in trouble and they had a job and they were paying for it, they'd, they, would, they would quit that job. Oh, come on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, I am walking all in it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a great thing to see our children working and earning their way. It is. But you need to be careful what environment, Daddy, you're sending them into at 15 and 16 years old. Because not everybody working there has their best interests at heart. And if you, don't, if you want your kid to be responsible, you need to determine whether your kid could handle it at 15 and 6. If they can't, that's okay. That doesn't mean they don't have a work ethic. It just means that you understand I'm not willing to put them in an environment with ungodly people for, for hours and hours. I just want to, but they're going to wait a little bit longer. It ain't going to hurt them not to have a car. I'd rather form to go to heaven than to have a car. Come on, somebody. You're, you're the gatekeeper of the home. Well, my, I think we just need to have a seminar and talk about this stuff sometimes. Amen. Some kids can handle it. Some kids, y'all know that, right? 
some kids can handle it, some kids cannot handle it. And uh, I think uh, I think I'd let my kids work at Chick Fil A, but I don't know about anywhere else. <laughs> we have some Chick Fil A workers here, don't we? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Humana. I don't know. It's pretty rough up there. I'm not sure. <laughs> They're all working from home now, so if that's a bad work environment, <laughs> it's on you, right? <laughs> or it's on your husband or wife. I don't know. <laughs> my daughter. And, and my, my son-in-law both work at Humana. If one of them called me and said, my work environment is horrible, I'm like, you got to call somebody else on this. I can help you with that. Amen. Amen. And I, I'm closing. Would you stand? Daddies, I just want to take a little bit of time to tell you that we can have godly homes in an ungodly world. You can do it. And contrary to the enemy, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You know why? Because you're not perfect. And your family, they don't want you to be perfect. No, they just want you to be daddy. My dad, hands down, the greatest man I have ever known. Hands down. It's not even close. But he wasn't perfect. So our young people in here that look at your daddies, and you go, you know, when I'm a daddy, I'm going to do things differently. You probably will. You're going to do a lot of things worse. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs> because, Brother Spotted, didn't we, didn't we, we thought the same things. Brother Tyler, didn't we say, I know your daddy's over there, but you thought the same thing too, right? Brother Russell, I know your daddy's here, but you thought the same thing. Brother Revels, you thought the same thing too. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to listen more. Daddy, 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 daddy. Go to your mother. Just failed that one. I'm going to be more fair. And then, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And then when you have kids, and you feel that weight and that responsibility, man, the older I get, the more my parents, the more I appreciate them, and the higher they go up, because I realize how hard it is. I'll close with it. It's not easy raising godly children in today's society, but it can be done. But Daddy, you know where it's done? It's done in a godly home. We only have your kids for a couple of hours a, week, a month trying to teach them the Word of God. We've only got them in the sanctuary a couple times a month. The home has always been, in the Bible, the central teaching place for the Word of God. Not the Sunday school room. Not the sanctuary. But the home. Brother Griffiths, I just don't know where to start. I, I don't know. I don't know. Get your family together a couple of times a week. Go around and ask them what they're thankful for. Don't, don't try to bite off too big of a thing. Don't try to bite it off and get your family and try to pray three hours. They're going to they're fall asleep and you're going to run out of things to pray for. Start small. Get them together. Just, just start taking prayer requests. Start praying for your family members. Just talk about the things of God. When you're in the car, when you're driving, when you're at home. We, got, we don't have long to get it in, I'm right. We want to get it while we can.
I'm thankful to pastor this church and I'm going to look over this place and I see a lot of godly men. I see a lot of men that lead and worship in this place. I see a lot of men that go to the prayer room. I want you to know as your pastor, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the men that bring their families to the house of God. I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful today that Brother and Sister Yoakum are here when they have a son in the hospital, has a wound and has bullet hole. Or I'm, I didn't mean to say that. Had a wound and they just had to go in. Sorry. Had to go into his lung and do another procedure. They could have been up at the hospital, but here they are on Father's Day. Brother Yoakum, thank you. Thank you for bringing your family to the house of the Lord. All the men, Brother Utley, I'm thankful when you walk in here on Wednesday night at 8.15 and you're in your UPS uniform. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I had another company in mind. Your, your Amazon, I mean your FedEx uniform. You know what? It does me good to see that man that could have just, he could have just went home. He's in uniform. He's hot, he's sweaty, he stinks. <laughs> he could have just went home. The wise heart, he's only catching 15 minutes. But you know what? He's developed a habit. I'm not driving by here. If the doors are open, I'm going to come in. I'm thankful to all the men that show their family the way to the house of God. Amen. Let's lift our hands right now. Let's love the Lord for a moment. Daddies, why don't you ask the Lord to help you as you endeavor to have a godly home, and as you endeavor to measure up to what a godly man is. He's going to help you do that. I promise you, you're not in this thing alone. God will help you do this. God will help you do this. You can't do it by yourself, but He will help you do it. God, I pray a blessing right now over, over all of our men. It's hard in this hour, in this culture, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them as they bend their knee, that you would empower them, Lord. As they bend their knee and call on you, that you will give them the direction, that you will give them the strength, that they would not compromise, Lord. God, that, that, that they would grow in prayer and grow in worship and grow in faithfulness, Lord. God, that they would be the leader and the example that you've called them, that you know that they could be, Lord. Help them, I pray, to stand strong in this hour, Lord. We ask it in your wonderful name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Amen. Amen. To all the men, especially the fathers, God bless you. This is your day. Amen. Have a great one. God bless you. We got.